chapter six of abraham lincoln a history volume eight this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org abraham lincoln a history volume eight by john hay and john george nicolay chapter six burnside in tennessee we have mentioned in other chapters the intense and incessant anxiety with which mr lincoln had endeavored ever since the war began to extend relief to the loyal and suffering population of east tennessee he had lavished orders persuasions and entreaties upon every succeeding general who commanded in that region to take possession of its important strategic points he had repeatedly urged upon congress the construction of roads to render it accessible to our armies every consideration military and political united in urging the immediate and permanent occupation of east tennessee the strategic position was of the utmost importance the great food-producing regions of kentucky and tennessee were the source of a great part of the confederate supplies the expeditions of bragg of buckner and of kirby smith into kentucky showed the vast importance the confederates attached to the retention or even the intermittent possession of those rich fields from which they drew their principal supplies of horses of cattle and of grain in the flanks of these mountains also lay the great niter beds upon which the confederates relied in their manufacture of gunpowder their most rapid and useful line of communication between virginia and the west was by the railway which ran through the valley between the great smoky and the cumberland mountains with the union armies once safely in possession of knoxville the rebellion must inevitably perish sooner or later to use mr lincoln's vivid phrase like an animal with a thorn in its vitals but even more strongly than these material advantages did the moral claims of the east tennesseans weigh with the president no section of the country had deserved more at the hands of the republic than those harried and persecuted loyalists throughout the great mountain regions of west virginia western north carolina and east tennessee slavery had from the beginning gained there but a slight foothold and a feeble influence so that the spirit of freedom and patriotism which is so frequently characteristic of mountaineers flourished unimpeded by the noxious influence of a society based upon human bondage from the opening of the war this brave and stalwart people had been true to the union as long as they were allowed the privilege of voting they gave overwhelming majorities against secession and after the state had been fraudulently declared out of the union and all its principal towns occupied by rebel troops the loyalists yet stoutly stood by the old flag resisting the exactions of rebel officers to the utmost of their ability 
and when at last through want of arms and organization their attitude of passive resistance became impossible at home they fled by night in groups of twos and threes at the risk of their lives over the rugged heights and through the laurel thickets of the cumberland mountains running the risk of death by exposure to the shots of rebel pickets to enlist at the first camp of union soldiers which they could find in kentucky many of those who remained at home met with a more dreadful fate than any which soldiers confronted on the field of battle their attitude of silent protest against rebel usurpation was treated as treason they were cast by hundreds into overcrowded and fetid prisons and on the mere suspicion of bridge burning large numbers of them were summarily put to death and according to the brutal order of mr benjamin the rebel secretary of war the bodies of those patriots were left hanging in the vicinity of the burnt bridges the tale of these sufferings came constantly to mr lincoln and there was nothing in the war which caused him sharper pain or excited in him a more ardent desire for redress the loyalists of tennessee were ably represented in washington at first by andrew johnson in the senate and afterwards by horace maynard and others in the house of representatives they considered it their duty to give the government no peace in reference to the sufferings of their fellow-citizens and the president striving with all his energies to relieve them found for two years his efforts so unavailing that the sight of an east tennessean at last came to give him the keenest distress when finally he had been enabled to overcome the inertia of rosecrans and had got his army as far as tullahoma on the march to chattanooga and was even then urging burnside in the most peremptory terms to march the army of the ohio into east tennessee to support the movement of rosecrans his impatience and anxiety were such that he declined to meet a delegation of east tennesseans who had come to urge upon the government some action in their favor but he wrote them this letter which shows the painful strain he was enduring the petition of which you were the bearers has just been handed me your cards and notes had come to me on two or three successive days before and i knew then as well as i do now after reading the petition what your mission was i knew it was the same true and painful story which governor johnson mr maynard dr clements and others have been telling me for more than two years i also knew that meeting you could do no good because i have all the while done and shall continue to do the best for you i could and can i do as much for east tennessee as i would or could if my own home and family were in knoxville the difficulties of getting a union army into that region and of keeping it there are so apparent so obvious that none can fail to see them unless it may be those who are driven mad and blind by their sufferings start by whatever route they may their lines of supply are broken before they get half way a small force sufficient to beat the enemy now there would be of no value because the enemy would reinforce to meet them until we should have to give back or accumulate so large a force as to be very difficult to supply 
and as to ruin us entirely if a great disaster should befall it i know you are too much distressed to be argued with and therefore i do not attempt it at length you know i am not indifferent to your troubles else i should not more than a year and a half ago have made the effort i did to have a railroad built on purpose to relieve you the secretary of war general halleck general burnside and general rosecrans are all engaged now in an effort to relieve your section but remember you will probably thwart them if you make this public relief and redress were this time really on the way the dispatch by burnside of the ninth corps to the assistance of grant at vicksburg had for a long time delayed his march to the south but at last without waiting for general park's return burnside started from camp nelson in kentucky on the sixteenth of august buckner with a large force awaited him expecting that he would come by the easiest and most direct way through cumberland gap but burnside chose instead to move by the right directly over the mountains his progress was entirely unopposed he concentrated his forces at crab orchard and on the twenty first of august began his march with general s p carter in the advance he marched through mount vernon loudon and williamsburg where he was detained for a day by torrents of rain on the twenty sixth he passed the state line into tennessee where he was joined by general g l hartsuff's command after two days rest they pushed forward again and in two rapid marches reached montgomery in morgan county tennessee on the first of september burnside with his escort entered kingston on the tennessee river and about the same time his advance took possession of knoxville without resistance the strategic march of rosecrans upon bragg's left flank having by this time caused the recall of buckner to take part in the battle which was preparing on the banks of chickamauga creek burnside's force advancing from kingston to loudon arrived just in time to witness the withdrawal of the rear-guard of the enemy and the destruction of the great bridge of the east tennessee and georgia railroad over the holston river following his cavalry advance which arrived on the second he entered knoxville on the fourth of september amid the joyous acclamations of the people who had waited with the sickness of hope deferred for more than two years for the great deliverance he could hardly make his way through the streets for the crowds of delighted citizens of all colors and ages who thronged about him shouting their welcome and cheering the flag general carter who was a native of east tennessee was everywhere stopped and forced to address the people burnside who had no inclination for public speaking was at last compelled to say a few words he acquitted himself of the task with dignity and earnestness saying it had been his fervent wish from the moment he took command of the army of ohio to lead them into tennessee to the deliverance of the loyal people there and he assured them that he had come with means sufficient with their assistance to hold the country permanently and securely when the flag was unfurled from the balcony of the house where he had made his headquarters the crowd rushed forward 
covering it with kisses and the citizens seizing upon the soldiers and officers without distinction of rank carried them off to their houses to enjoy a warm welcome with what entertainment the disasters of war had still left them it was not at army headquarters alone that the red white and blue standard was seen and honoured the flags which had been kept in concealment for so many months were now everywhere thrown to the breeze and the town became radiant with the national colours the immediate duty of burnside was of course to place himself instantly in connection with rosecrans he should have done this even had he had no orders but in reality his orders were of the most stringent character halleck had ordered him to connect with rosecrans on the eleventh of september and as soon as he had become aware of rosecrans's peril in mcclemore's cove he directed him on the thirteenth to move down his infantry as rapidly as possible towards chattanooga to connect with rosecrans and the next day said there are reasons why you should reinforce general rosecrans with all possible dispatch it is believed that the enemy will concentrate to give him battle you must be there to help him burnside however seemed unaware of the necessities of the case he had felt on the tenth of september as if the war were virtually over and his work done and he tendered his resignation by telegraph on that day feeling that he could now conscientiously ask to be allowed to resign i look upon east tennessee he said as one of the most loyal sections of the united states the president responded with a thousand thanks but said we cannot allow you to resign until things shall be a little more settled in east tennessee he was then at cumberland gap where he had the day before received the surrender of general j w fraser who with some two thousand troops had lingered too long in that gateway of the mountains and had been taken by an attack of j m shackleford in the rear during the next ten days while bragg was preparing to crush rosecrans's army and the latter was straining every nerve to concentrate his own scattered forces now exposed to such peril burnside notwithstanding all the orders that could be sent to him from washington seemed to feel no obligation resting upon him to make any especial haste for the relief of rosecrans from his own point of view indeed he was losing no time he filled east tennessee with desultory activity and answered every injunction from washington with cheerful acquiescence saying that he would proceed at once to the assistance of rosecrans but he took his own time about it his cavalry was scouring the country in every direction skirmishing as far as bluntsville in the extreme northeastern corner of the state so late as the twenty third the third day after chickamauga he telegraphed the president from carter's station giving a cheerful view of the situation saying he should go to knoxville very soon and though the news from rosecrans was rather discouraging he sincerely hoped and believed he would be able to hold his position he gave particulars of bridges over the holston and intimated that if it had not been for the president's orders he might have accomplished some very important work within forty-eight hours on receipt of this the president sat down in the war department his patience giving way 
and wrote a stinging dispatch acknowledging receipt of burnside's and saying it makes me doubt whether i am awake or dreaming i have been struggling for ten days first through general halleck and then directly to get you to go to assist general rosecrans in an extremity and you have repeatedly declared you would do it and yet you steadily moved the contrary way he enumerates burnside's dispatches acknowledging receipt of orders and promising to hurry troops to rosecrans adding and now your dispatch of the twenty third comes in from carter's station still farther away from rosecrans still saying you will assist him but giving no account of any progress made towards assisting him the president's chiding continued for some time in this vein but as he wrote his habitual gentleness and moderation of spirit came back to him as frequently happened in such cases and having finished his dispatch he folded and endorsed it not sent but later he sent him a telegram directing him to hold his present position and send rosencrans what he could spare in the quickest and safest way in the meantime he said hold the remainder as nearly in readiness to go to him as you can consistent with the duty it is to perform while it remains east tennessee can be no more than temporarily lost so long as chattanooga is firmly held meanwhile the mere thought that burnside's troops were to be sent to rosencrans drove the loyal tennesseans wild mr maynard wrote from nashville can it be possible that after taking so easy and so complete possession of that country as we have done it is to be abandoned for the sake of a few thousand soldiers more or less numerous than we have ourselves furnished and put into the field remember that chattanooga though politically in tennessee is geographically in georgia and while it is vitally important to hold it it is also vitally important not to abandon east tennessee in behalf of east tennessee we promised you first that your army should go in without serious opposition second that the people would receive the troops with welcome third that the country would furnish supplies in abundance for the army all this has been fulfilled and i beg we may no longer be made to suffer by the incredulity of generals-in-chief in the end burnside did not go to chattanooga his favorite ninth corps joined him on the first of october and he established himself firmly in knoxville his position there greatly troubled the confederate authorities and when jefferson davis visited the confederate armies in the west it was resolved to send a formidable expedition to dislodge or destroy burnside it is a singular fact that on the very day of mr davis's visit to bragg when the detachment of longstreet was probably resolved upon the government ceased urging burnside to hurry to chattanooga and president lincoln himself sent a telegram to rosecrans referred to in another place explaining how burnside could not go to him without surrendering east tennessee and making the remarkable prophecy of longstreet's detachment 
the east tennesseans were however greatly concerned under the apprehension that burnside would be sent away from knoxville and two prominent union men of that place sent on the thirteenth of october this passionate appeal to the president in the name of christianity and humanity in the name of god and liberty for the sake of their wives and children and everything they hold sacred and dear on earth the loyal people of tennessee appeal to you and implore you not to abandon them again to the merciless dominion of the rebels by the withdrawal of the union forces from east tennessee the president answered them on the seventeenth of october saying you do not estimate the holding of east tennessee more highly than i do there is no absolute purpose of withdrawing our forces from it and only a contingent one to withdraw them temporarily for the purpose of not losing the position permanently i am in great hope of not finding it necessary to withdraw them at all particularly if you raise new troops rapidly for us there this work of raising new troops was going on with great rapidity and success considering how many of the more adventurous union men had already crossed the cumberland mountains to join the national army burnside reported to the president that he had already three thousand in three years service and half armed about two thousand five hundred home guards many more recruits could have been had for the three years service but for the want of clothing and camp equipage the difficulty of transportation was in fact the main trouble burnside had to contend with congress had not authorized the building of the road which president lincoln had so earnestly urged upon it and the hauling of supplies from kentucky by the mountain roads was a most difficult and toilsome proceeding burnside's command was from the beginning placed upon half rations of everything but fresh beef and the half ration was afterwards cut in two there were almost no small stores except sugar and coffee but the command was reported by burnside as remarkably happy and willing and ready for any ordinary emergency throughout the month of october the country supplied an abundance of forage although there was some suffering for the want of food and clothing and horseshoes burnside went cheerily ahead surveying the railroad from kingston to the mouth of the big south fork of the cumberland the head of navigation of that river a road was at the same time building from kentucky down to that place to supply the army in winter so much at ease did burnside feel in regard to the position of the army that on the twenty second of october he again tendered his resignation but a situation of the gravest peril was at that moment being prepared for him on the third of november longstreet being summoned to headquarters received the orders detaching him from bragg's army to lead an expedition against burnside he took with him mclaws's and hood's divisions two artillery battalions and wheeler's cavalry he was directed to move as fast as possible and warned that the success of his plan depended upon rapid movements and sudden blows driving burnside out of east tennessee was the least of the objects proposed to him it was hoped that he might do better than this capture or destroy him major-general samuel jones was at the same time urged to press burnside from east tennessee 
longstreet got away promptly next day but in ten days moved no farther than sweetwater with a doubt and indecision singular in his firm and resolute character he repeatedly begged for further reinforcements with a command already double that of his enemy not counting the force which general jones commanded in the northeast he still insisted on another division being sent him he went so far as to say to bragg that he thought he greatly overestimated the enemy's force at and around chattanooga i have seen the force he says every day for the time it has been here and i cannot think it exceeds your force without stevenson's division which he therefore urgently asked for but this demand was very properly refused by bragg and longstreet started with the force he had late in the campaign bragg foolishly yielded and sent him two additional brigades from buckner's force while longstreet was thus making his leisurely march from the southeast jones on the opposite side of knoxville made a spirited dash upon one of burnside's outposts at rogersville capturing the force stationed there burnside on the twelfth of november explaining this mishap said it was impossible to be sufficiently watchful to prevent trouble while so many points were assailable he was then trying to occupy the line from washington on the tennessee river to the watauga and he was holding as far east as bull's gap scouting to greenville and picketing the tennessee river from washington to kingston his main force being stationed along the line from kingston to knoxville his command he said was still in good health and spirits though short of everything by running the flour mills in his possession he could keep five days supply of flour on hand and he had always plenty of beef cattle and salt and though threatened as he said by a considerable force of the enemy on each flank had no serious apprehension of immediate trouble with courage and purpose undisturbed by the undeniable dangers surrounding him he said this was certainly not the proper time to evacuate the country and although he heard the report of longstreet's force between sweetwater and loudon he said with almost boyish confidence general grant will take care of this one of the most remarkable incidents of all these campaigns was that while the administration in washington and general grant in chattanooga were filled with the keenest anxiety and alarm with regard to burnside fearing on the one hand that he might be captured or destroyed by a sudden dash of the enemy or that he might lack heart for the defence of the place and retreat to cumberland gap he himself felt no apprehensions as to his fate and had no purpose to desert the post confided to his care whatever may have been his faults and deficiencies as a general a lack of resolution or a distaste for fighting could never be reckoned among them as soon as longstreet's advance arrived at loudon on the tennessee burnside sent a dispatch to grant proposing by gradually retiring from that point to draw longstreet further and further away from chattanooga wisely thinking that in this way he could best assist the plans of grant against bragg 
grant was greatly relieved by this suggestion not only from the practical assistance it would give himself but also because it was an indication of burnside's confidence in his own power to resist the formidable onslaught of longstreet grant telegraphed him on the fourteenth urging him to hold longstreet in check then to skirmish and fall back avoiding serious loss to himself and that in that case grant would be able to place a force between longstreet and bragg that would inevitably drive the former to the mountain passes and the next day he telegraphed him again a dispatch which is a model of earnest and energetic instruction directing him to hold on to knoxville and that portion of the valley immediately depending upon it he said should longstreet move his whole force across the little tennessee river an effort should be made to cut his pontoons on the stream even if it sacrificed half the cavalry of the ohio army i can hardly conceive the necessity of retreating from east tennessee if i did so at all it would be after losing most of the army i will not attempt to lay out a line of retreat i would harass and embarrass progress in every way possible reflecting on the fact that the army of the ohio is not the only army to resist the onward progress of the enemy in this strain he continued for several days his stringent and encouraging dispatches burnside carried out these orders which to do him justice he had himself suggested with great energy and spirit he withdrew from loudon on the morning of the fifteenth and fell back marching in the direction of knoxville longstreet after crossing pushed forward with great energy and tried to reach campbell's station before burnside to cut off the national force from knoxville burnside was however warned in time and by a rapid march reached the station first he had only about five thousand troops and with these he carried on a spirited fight of several hours against double that number of confederates and having checked the enemy long enough to save his trains he renewed his movement on knoxville where he arrived by a night march longstreet following the next day burnside was so little impressed by the strength of longstreet's attack that he telegraphed to the president that he thought there was a chance that longstreet might be simply covering a movement into kentucky but this fancy was rapidly dispelled longstreet at once began to invest knoxville though the investment was never made complete the town had been thoroughly fortified a line of defence extending from the holston river on the left a double line of works fronting west a strong work called fort sanders at the northwest salient and a line which continued from there across the railroad and again to the right as far as the river the south side of the holston was defended also by detached works connected with the town by a pontoon bridge burnside had about twelve thousand effective men which number was swelled by a partially organized force of loyal tennesseans longstreet sat down before the place with over fifteen thousand veteran troops exclusive of his cavalry a number which was afterwards increased to some twenty-three thousand 
his superiority in force was however never sufficient to enable him to invest the place completely burnside still continued to hold partial communication with the country outside and although before the end of the siege the ration was greatly reduced and forage became so scarce that superfluous animals were killed and thrown into the river to get rid of them the garrison was never really driven to extremities loyal farmers floated down all sorts of needed supplies in rafts on the river which were caught by booms at the town and the same device was used to stop the progress of the heavy rafts sent down by the confederates in the hope of breaking the pontoon bridges there was a considerable time during which no news came from burnside at his request general foster had been sent to relieve him but having only a small force with him foster was unable to get farther than cumberland gap and thence he sent from day to day such news as came to him of the progress of the siege which amounted to very little except that his scouts coming in reported heavy firing in the direction of knoxville on the receipt of one of these messages on the night of november twenty third president lincoln who had waited all day with some anxiety for news from knoxville expressed his satisfaction when asked by his secretary what cause of congratulation he could find in a bit of news of so little significance he replied with one of his characteristic apologues a neighbor of mine in menard county named sally ward had a large family of children that she took very little care of whenever she heard one of them yelling in some out-of-the-way place she would say thank the lord there's one of my young ones not dead yet so long as there was firing in the direction of knoxville burnside was not captured at last grant made his move upon the enemy hooker fought his way through the clouds on lookout mountain sherman held bragg's right arm as in a vice at the tunnel and thomas's soldiers broke like a thunderbolt through the confederate centre at missionary ridge grant riding in pursuit of the broken enemy spent but one day in this occupation and instantly ordered sherman with his own and howard's corps to march to the rescue of burnside they made all possible haste on the way but swiftly as they marched the news of the confederate disaster on missionary ridge reached longstreet before them he had once determined to wait no longer but to attempt at least to carry knoxville by assault this resolution was taken against the protest of his generals who advised returning to virginia but longstreet argued it is a great mistake in supposing there is any safety for us in going to virginia if general bragg has been defeated for we leave him at the mercy of his victors and with his army destroyed our own had better be also for we must not only be destroyed but disgraced he therefore advanced his line of sharpshooters on the night of the twenty eighth to within rifle range of the national defences and made ready a heavy column to assault fort sanders on the northwest side of burnside's line which was the strongest point of the national works but if taken rendered the capture of the city an easy task 
the defenders of the place became aware of his purpose by the capture of pickets and made their preparations to resist at dawn on the twenty ninth longstreet began a furious artillery fire to which no reply was made from the fort and after about half an hour the confederate column which had been concentrated during the night charged on the bastion the space in front of the fort had been carefully prepared with abatis and entanglements of wire many of the confederates fell over these obstacles and produced a momentary confusion but the heavy mass behind them pushed resolutely forward and soon gained the ditch and the parapet it was a repetition with exchanged flags of the slaughter of fort wagner the national guns which had remained inexplicably silent up to this moment opened upon the rebels with triple charges of canister the infantry suddenly appeared shooting down the defenceless confederates on the glacis and in the ditch bayonetting or clubbing back with their muskets every head that appeared above the parapet only one of the assailants got over the parapet alive the ditch was filled with the dead and wounded and the glacis was thickly sprinkled with them longstreet lost in this assault a thousand men the casualties on the union side were insignificant burnside reports only thirteen killed and wounded there were only two hundred and twenty men and eleven guns actually engaged in this brilliant defence against four brigades of longstreet lieutenant samuel n benjamin commanding a light battery of the second united states artillery inspired and directed the defence of the fort immediately after the repulse while his broken columns were coming shattered and bleeding back to his lines longstreet received a dispatch from jefferson davis announcing the disaster of chattanooga and directing him to put himself in immediate communication with bragg but learning soon after by means of a dispatch which grant had contrived should fall into his hands that heavy reinforcements were on the way to burnside he saw that it was impossible to form a junction with bragg he therefore recalled his trains which were already in motion for loudon and resolving on the second of december to abandon the siege he put his trains in motion on the third and on the night of the fourth he passed around the north side of knoxville and took up his line of march to the holston when sherman was turned back by grant from the pursuit of bragg he imagined that he was only required to protect the right flank of granger during the first stage of his march to knoxville but on arriving at charleston he was surprised to find a dispatch from grant directing him to take command of granger's corps and with whatever force he deemed necessary from his own command to push forward with the utmost haste to burnside's relief seven days before he says we had left our camps on the other side of the tennessee with two days ration without a change of clothing stripped for the fight with but a single blanket or coat per man from myself to the private included he had no provisions except such as could be gathered by the road and was in all respects ill supplied for such a march but without protest or complaint he pushed his column forward with such celerity and to cause the various detachments of the enemy who were guarding the road to fall back in haste without in any case effecting the complete destruction of their stores so that sherman's advancing army lived 
in great part on the provisions deserted by these confederate detachments at loudon he divided his force into three armies frank p blair jr commanding the right wing granger the centre and howard the left the different commanders were to act independently and on the defence marching to the support of each other at the sound of the guns the bridge at loudon over the holston river having been destroyed the army was compelled to move east on the south side of the river and the principal obstacle in their way was the little tennessee which flows into the holston between loudon and knoxville sherman had hoped to ford this river at morgantown but it was found too deep and the water was freezing with the assistance of general j h wilson a bridge was hastily improvised of cut wood and square trestles made from the houses of morgantown and the fifteenth corps crossed at that point howard who had captured a large number of wagons from the confederates at loudon brought them along with him and made a bridge of them at davis's ford on which he passed his force a new and welcome experience of this march was that the army everywhere received willing assistance from the population general howard says along the entire route we were cheered by the most lively demonstrations of loyalty on the part of the inhabitants a man who had been a major in the rebel service and resigned came to me and without laying any claim to loyalty stated that he had drifted with the current but since our recent victory was satisfied that tennessee would resume her place in the union he gave me information so accurate that i was able to sketch the works at knoxville and the enemy's position he records in another place a touching instance of the loyalty of the tennesseans many of his troops had worn out their shoes in their long march and were tramping barefoot over the frozen ground he saw citizens meeting them sit down on the ground take off their own shoes and give them to the soldiers straining every nerve to reach and rescue their comrades at knoxville whom they considered in such extremity firing their artillery with wasteful liberality whenever a confederate uniform came in sight for the purpose of advertising their advance to burnside all the heads of columns communicated at marysville on the night of the fifth where general sherman met an officer at burnside's staff who announced that longstreet had raised the siege and retreated in the direction of virginia sherman at once wrote to burnside announcing his arrival and saying he could bring twenty five thousand men into knoxville but longstreet having retreated he adds i feel disposed to stop for a stern chase is a long one leaving his own troops and accompanied only by granger's corps he rode into knoxville and was greeted by burnside with the warmest and most courteous welcome but with a serenity which somewhat surprised sherman who had expected to find the garrison at the point of starvation his astonishment was increased on viewing the pens of fat cattle by the riverside and reached its height when he sat down at the hospitable table of burnside a born amphitryon who if he were cast ashore on a coral reef would have asked his shipwrecked comrades to dine with him the next day on whatever the atoll afforded and partook of the best dinner he had had for a year 
the two generals visited together the lines about knoxville passing in review the works which burnside had so gallantly defended and the vastly more extensive and formidable fortifications with which longstreet had attempted to invest the town the officers at knoxville who had expected a much less massive reinforcement looked with some wonder at the three armies which sherman had brought them which they regarded as entirely disproportionate to the service required as one said it was like using the foot of an elephant to crush a gnat burnside at once assured sherman that he required but a small portion of the forces to drive longstreet out of tennessee and with that unselfish generosity which formed the most distinguished trait of his character and which won for him the continual devotion of his friends and the love and appreciation of his fellow-citizens in spite of all errors and mistakes throughout his conspicuous public career he gave sherman a letter thanking him in the heartiest terms for the great assistance his army had rendered to which he unreservedly attributed the raising of the siege and advised him to return it once with all the troops except those commanded by granger to within supporting distance of the force in front of bragg's army there is no reason to doubt that general sherman coincided with this view of burnside it is certain that granger deeply injured himself in the estimation both of sherman and grant by bitterly protesting against it there is nothing to show that at the moment general grant did not himself agree in the wisdom of the course suggested by burnside and pursued by sherman yet later when it was shown to have been a mistake grant in a letter to halleck made haste to exonerate sherman from any share in it it soon became evident that this action was unwise it was either unnecessary to send so great a force to knoxville or having it there it was an error to bring it back without a more energetic pursuit of longstreet than was made grant's orders were imperative that longstreet should be well followed up and in pursuance of them the ninth corps under general park started in pursuit of the retreating confederates on the seventh of december burnside feeling that his work was done now eagerly awaited the arrival of his successor general foster who came on the tenth and on the eleventh assumed command of the department the force under general park was quite insufficient for the work required of him they could neither outmarch nor outfight longstreet's veterans and the result was that without serious molestation longstreet moved to the south side of the holston where in the midst of a rich grain-growing region he passed the winter a sore annoyance to the union people of east tennessee and a constant menace to the union force at knoxville sherman returned with his army to chattanooga and the grand campaign was ended one of the most interesting in its incidents and important in its results that took place during the war of the rebellion it had been since the war began the project nearest and dearest to the heart of the president to establish the national flag in the hill country of tennessee among that loyal and suffering population and to take possession at chattanooga of those rocky fastnesses which once firmly held 
by the union army formed a salient bastion thrust into the enemy's most vital line of communication completely severing the eastern from the western portion of the confederacy stopping the flow of supplies from the rich food-producing regions of the border to the southern armies and affording a safe and impregnable sally-port from which the armies of the union should march in their own good time on their final mission of liberating conquest on the eleventh of september when rosecrans's strategic march opened the gates of chattanooga the president's first thought was of the political regeneration of east tennessee he wrote to andrew johnson the military governor of that state urging him to seize the moment to inaugurate a loyal state government which should be in the hands of the friends of the union a week later he wrote again saying let me urge that you do your utmost to get every man you can black and white under arms at the very earliest moment to guard roads bridges and trains allowing all the better trained soldiers to go forward to rosecrans of course i mean for you to act in cooperation with and not independently of the military authorities but after this letter was written there were still almost three months of battle of march and of siege before this important national conquest was fixed and affirmed and the flag of the union floated in security from cumberland gap to chattanooga and over the loyal hills of knoxville on the seventh of december the president gave utterance to the feeling of reverent gratitude with which the nation hailed this inestimable success in a proclamation in which he said reliable information being received that the insurgent force is retreating from east tennessee under circumstances rendering it probable that the union forces cannot hereafter be dislodged from that important position and esteeming this to be of high national consequence i recommend that all loyal people do on receipt of this information assemble at their places of worship and render special homage and gratitude to almighty god for this great advancement of the national cause and the next day not being of the number of those rulers who reserve all their gratitude for the almighty to the neglect of human instrumentalities he sent a dispatch to grant saying understanding that your lodgment at chattanooga and knoxville is now secure i wish to tender you and all under your command my more than thanks my profoundest gratitude for the skill courage and perseverance with which you and they over so great difficulties have effected that important object god bless you all End of chapter six